welcome once again to another episode of Demand Gen Radio. The one program that brings you all the latest methods and technologies for driving growth and increasing demand. With the voice of Demand Gen, David Lewis. Well, thank you very much, Paul, and welcome, everybody, to another episode of Demand Gen Radio. Today, we are going to talk about how to implement a lead scoring system, and it's probably one of my favorite topics to talk about when it comes to lead management. I've led so many workshops over the years and been involved in so many lead scoring initiatives, uh, and it's so great to see sales and marketing come together uh, in a project like this. You know, Rarely does the sales team and the marketing team get to work so closely together, um, and a lead scoring project is one of those projects that, that can really transform the culture between the two teams. So it's uh, quite a joy to really share with you the insights today. Let's start off by talking about whether you should be scoring your leads in the first place, because I imagine most of you turning in uh, have a marketing automation system, and you're thinking we should be scoring our leads, and I would say probably in most cases you should be. But let's say that you really don't at this point have enough leads coming in the top of the funnel should you embark on a lead scoring system. And there's really two schools of thought. One is if you are planning to really ramp up your lead volume, it absolutely makes sense to start on a lead scoring initiative so that as the lead volume really increases, you are scoring your leads. If, however, you're just setting up your marketing automation system for the very first time and you're really starting to work on uh, some of the basics of outbound marketing and you want to prioritize campaigns and maybe some automation capabilities like nurturing, maybe lead scoring makes sense a little bit later on. Now, all that said, in the previous episode of the podcast series, I talk about building a demand funnel. And if you are going to put a demand funnel in place and create a language such as inquiries and MQLs, well, how will you differentiate between these two different lead statuses? Lead scoring is absolutely one of those systems that can play huge dividends and benefit your demand funnel model. So I would say in general, Yes, at some point you're going to want a lead scoring system because hopefully you're generating enough inquiries and enough top of funnel activity. But in terms of when you do that, it really should be around whether um, it's the right time. And if you're not generating a lot of leads, probably doesn't make sense to pull sales into a scoring workshop and scoring discussion because they're going to kind of be scratching their head wondering, why are we talking about prioritizing our leads when we don't have any uh, or don't have enough leads in the first place? So give that some consideration. All right, so what is lead scoring? Um, I'm sure you've read plenty and learned quite a bit uh, about what lead scoring is. So let me tell you what lead scoring isn't, first of all. Uh, Lead scoring is not a predictor of whether someone is going to buy from you, how much they are going to spend with you, uh, and when that deal is going to close. There are predictive, uh, you know, and AI systems out there that will make claims to do that, uh, and maybe some of those systems can get us closer to that, uh, but I would still, that's a that's a maturity of scoring that is way out there. Where you really want to start off with is viewing lead scoring as a prioritization system, uh, and that's is just really separating uh, the leads that you're generating between 
inquiries and between marketing qualified leads. That's really the expectation you should be setting for sales because if you come in saying that, hey, we just bought this great predictive system and we're going to be able to tell you uh, the deal size and when they're going to close and all this um, other buying indicators, I'd, I'd caution you there because you're setting the bar extremely high. If you set the bar as a rating system and prioritization system, you're going to have a lot more better adoption and better response from sales. So how does it work? There are many different types of lead scoring systems out there. I want to cover the four most common ones, and that is there is one system that is interest-only scoring, and that is using what we call digital body language, using the behavior of a lead on your website, opening emails, clicking through emails, downloading content, you know, various indicators of activity, uh, and that is measuring their level of engagement or level of interest. The second type of lead scoring system is one that is qualification criteria or sometimes called explicit criteria. And that is what I like to call your tall, dark, and handsome uh, criteria. If you think about uh, Match.com, I'm sure you've heard the commercials over the years for this dating service. They talk about how they have 29 different dimensions of compatibility. Those dimensions are very similar to uh, what would be considered explicit criteria. Let me give you some examples. So my company, DemandGen, we help uh, and guide marketing leaders and help their teams with the use and adoption of marketing technology. That's what we do. That's what drives us. Well, what marketing technology? So if somebody comes to our website and they download content, one of the questions that we ask in our forms is, what marketing automation system do you have? We also ask, what CRM system do you have? And I'm going to stop right there. But you can imagine for a company like mine, if we know what your marketing automation system is and what CRM system you have, those two dimensions help determine whether there's a good fit for our services and who that prospect is. If, for example, somebody comes in and says, I don't have a marketing automation system and I don't have a CRM system, they're going to score much lower for our organization because they're probably too soon for someone that's ready to engage our services. I'll give you another example. Uh, we've worked with a lot of companies over the years, and one of the companies that we um, help create a lead scoring model for provides medical devices uh, in terms of diabetes care equipment, so type 1 diabetes, or sometimes called adolescent diabetes. Well, a diabetes device, one of the criteria that they needed to determine was, does this, well, I'll give you two. One is, who is this person? Are they a caregiver, you know, a, a medical practitioner? Are they a parent or are they the patient? And most type 1 diabetics are adolescents. So by knowing which persona it is, it can prioritize their follow-up and also rank in terms of where that should go within their sales organization. Some of the other questions they ask is how many in what type of treatment are they currently using? Do they give insulin injections or are they on another uh, insulin device? Well, without taking you through a guessing game because we're not there in person, you're listening in, I can tell you that if someone is giving themselves insulin injections, they are much more likely to buy an insulin pump than if they are already using a pump and just thinking about switching. So in terms of their um, conversion rate, they have found over the years that someone who's doing insulin injections is going to convert higher. 
So those are some examples of how explicit criteria can be used on forms. And I'm sure you're starting to think right now what your explicit criteria might be. And let me tell you, I'll talk about this later, that is one of the topics that you're going to discuss with the sales team as part of the lead scoring initiative. So that's qualification criteria. And so right now I've said interest is measuring behavior. Qualification is measuring that explicit criteria. So what are the other ones? Well, the other two are a predictive model, which is using predictive technology, basically a third-party technology to create an algorithm for you. And those systems are using external factors and some external factors to determine the criteria and the fit. Are those systems good? There's a number of them that are very good. And feel free to reach out to us and um, we can set you up with some demonstrations and share with you uh, some of the various systems that are out there. I do recommend, though, that if you're going to use a predictive system, you actually incorporate those scores and not solely rely on the predictive technology. That's been my experience to date, is that the best lead scoring systems use some explicit criteria determined internally using the digital body language captured in the marketing automation system and then also layering in a predictive element. But I also would say that that's on the maturity curve further out. If you're just getting started with lead scoring, it may best be just start with your marketing automation system and then add a predictive element later on. So a predictive model is one that only uses the predictive system. And as you hear me suggesting, there's a hybrid approach. And that really brings us to the last model, which is a two-dimensional model where you're measuring both explicit and interest and you're creating a score or rating actually from that and I highly recommend a two-dimensional model it has been proven time and time again uh, with our clients that that is the best model the most accurate model in terms of rating your leads because it factors both behavior and explicit criteria one example of why that's important imagine somebody that's all over your site reading all of your emails downloading all of your content their behavior is off the charts and they look like they are super engaged well what if they're a competitor or what if they're doing a whole lot of research but they're not ready to buy from you because they don't meet your explicit criteria so you can get a lot of false positives if you just measure interest only good place to start but you can produce false positives the other side um, of having a qualification-only model, well, the reason not to do that is if you have a marketing automation system, you should use it. And they're phenomenal at measuring someone's level of engagement. You know, lead scoring in many ways is like if you take someone in the physical world, I talk about this in my book, where, you know, in the physical world, when somebody walks into a department store, when they ask a sales rep to try something on, to pull something out of a counter, when you see them turning over a pricing tag or taking clothes into the dressing room, all of those behaviors show someone that is not browsing but actually is buying. They are shopping. They are looking to purchase uh, whatever merchandise that is. Well, in lead scoring, when you are measuring someone's level of digital body language, it's analogous to the, the retail world. So that's why it's so important to factor in the behavior and level of engagement that they have. 
All right, I want to take a very quick break. We covered the four models. There's a lot still to cover, and I'm going to move through it pretty quickly, but I'm going to dive in deeper into what it takes to set up a lead scoring model, some lead scoring do's and don'ts, as well as discuss what it takes to implement these in your marketing automation system and your CRM. And I'll be right back after this. Have you ever wondered if there's a great book on modern marketing? Well, there is, and it's called Manufacturing Demand. It's written by modern marketing guru David Lewis. It's the number one book on lead generation, and guess what? It's yours for free today as a demand gen radio listener. In the book, David teaches you how to create your demand factory, how to align sales and marketing, how to set up your demand funnel, and he provides you blueprints of the best practices for lead scoring, lead nurturing, and marketing analytics. Plus, the book Manufacturing Demand gives you plenty of actionable tips and recommendations as well as real-world case studies for how leading companies like yours are achieving tremendous results applying these principles. As a Demand Gen Radio listener, you can download a free copy today, manufacturingdemand.com forward slash VIP. Don't wait. Grab your copy today. Just go to manufacturingdemand.com forward slash VIP. Or you can pick up a hard copy, Amazon.com or other fine booksellers by searching for the book, Manufacturing Demand. Have you ever felt that you're not getting the most out of your marketing automation system? Well, you're not alone. But there is an answer, an award-winning agency called DemandGen that can not only get your team out of batch and blast mode, but turn your team into high-performance marketers that drive more revenue and have the kind of results you're looking for. They also have a marketing dashboard to show it. Experts in Marketo, Eloqua, Salesforce, and dozens of other top marketing technology, the folks at DemandGen have helped hundreds of the top marketing teams around the country, and they can do the same for you. So stop feeling stressed. Check out their services at DemandGen.com, just like it sounds, DemandGen.com. And while you're there, be sure and visit their resource section, which is chock full of videos, free templates, and downloadable guides, all of which will help you be a better marketer. If you need a team that will get you to the next level, there's one waiting. They're just a click away. DemandGen.com. And now back to David. All right, and we are back. Hey, right before the break, we were talking about the different types of lead scoring models, and now I want to jump in and talk about what it takes to actually implement an effective lead scoring system. So it starts off with creating a task force. And that task force doesn't have to be a large group, but it definitely includes your head of demand generation. It includes your marketing automation manager or your marketing operations head. And it includes representation from sales. And in terms of who those salespeople should be, I strongly recommend that you bring in some of your top sales reps and sales leadership so that you have representation of people who know who they are selling to and can help with the description of the qualification criteria. Now, just to paint a picture for you of what this day looks like, the kickoff of the task force meeting, everyone is in a room and it's a workshop. And we lead these workshops uh, for our clients. And I think most companies do rely on an outside agency to help moderate and facilitate. At least I strongly recommend that. Maybe I'll touch on that later on if there's time. But picture, if you will, Everyone sitting down in this workshop, and the discussion starts off with why we're putting a lead scoring system together and what success looks like. 
and we typically show a number of PowerPoint slides that show what the CRM system is going to look like once the lead scoring system is enabled. And that gets sales very excited because they see what the end state looks like. And then we go back into the workshop and spend time on determining what the qualification criteria is. And I gave some examples a little bit earlier. I have to warn you that coming up with the qualification criteria is not an easy process, and that's why so often uh, you know, our clients obviously rely on an outside agency like DemandGen to come in and help facilitate because otherwise it can be a real big uh, battle between sales and marketing in terms of what that criteria is. And an agency like ours has the experience to help moderate and facilitate. In fact, one of the ways that I approach it is I get you know one of the reps that are really good at selling and describe to them. I say, hey, if I had somebody in the lobby of your office and they said they wanted to meet with you and your time is very precious, what would you want to know about that person in the lobby to determine whether you should get up from your chair and go have an ad hoc meeting with them? And at first they might struggle with that question, but as we discuss it a little bit more, it starts to really come about that they start asking you know, persona and firmographic information that is not BANT criteria, you know, not whether the person has budget, authority, need, and time frame, but they start asking questions that give insight to whether they determine someone to be you know, sales-worthy, sales-ready, or what ultimately leads to a marketing-qualified lead. So getting that task force together is the first start. That workshop is typically followed up uh, with a workbook that is the output of the workshop. And the, the workbook, we've got tremendous templates uh, that we provide to our clients that covers all the explicit criteria, how they are weighted, and what their ratings are. It has the entire interest model. By the way, the interest model is not normally a topic of the workshop because sales doesn't have the expertise in creating an interest model. That is better done with the marketing operations team and uh, marketing automation manager. So once the interest model has been determined and the qualification criteria has been determined, that workbook is serves as the blueprint for the implementation of the system. And so that's how these projects get kicked off. In terms of some lead scoring do's and don'ts, I just want to say again that in that workshop, make sure you do two things. One is make sure that sales understands that this is a project that you are collaborating on, that even though marketing is going to implement the system, that sales plays a very important role in helping to determine the qualification criteria, You know, kind of like we're in this together. That's super important. The second thing is express that this is going to be rolled out as a pilot that you know that it's going to be you know try it and perfect it pilot and perfect don't set the expectation that the lead scoring system is going to be perfect uh, at first because two reasons one it sets an unrealistic expectation and two is I find that it makes coming up with the qualification criteria just that much harder because everybody feels like, wow, if we don't get it right, um, we're really going to screw up. And if you position it as a pilot, like software, um, that you're going to beta it and refine it, I'm not suggesting that you don't take the qualification criteria seriously. You do. But in my experience, if there's too much stress on it having to be the perfect system, you might either never get it done or just disappoint people when it's rolled out. All right, what are some of the criteria that you might use in the interest model? In the interest model, since you're leveraging your marketing automation system, uh, we have recipes, formulas that we've used um, and developed over the years. But let me just tell you without outlining the entire formula what some of the criteria is. 
Um, some of the factors are website visits. And I don't just mean have they visited the website, but for example, we find that if someone visits your website more than two times and within a certain period of time, that is a leading indicator of a high level of engagement. So website visits, but also website visits that are at a certain frequency and at a certain uh, time interval. Another criteria is whether they're reading your emails. And that means checking to see if they're opening their emails and clicking through the emails. That type of digital body language is also used to measure engagement. Another factor that is used is separating your content into what we call high-value content versus uh, you know, just other content. So, for example, let's say you put out a document that doesn't really have to do with something about your products or services, and it's something that's just you know, going to be heavily downloaded or have a high interest, but it really doesn't mean that somebody's interested in your company or your services. I don't think you should score that piece of content based on our experience very high. So by having high-value content, maybe um, something that uh, you have as a download that really indicates that this person's interested in your product and your services, we call that high-value content, and you typically give extra points when people download high-value content. Along with that is you identify certain areas of your website that are considered high-value pages. So, for example, one page that's often used is if you have a pricing calculator or a product comparison page. As you can imagine, anyone looking at those pages is definitely engaging in identifying whether your products are right for them and which one they should get. So those are great examples of pages that would be in the interest model as what's called high-value pages. So again, the way the interest model works is you use a combination of website visits and emails and content, also using events, whether they're registering for webinars, uh, things like that. And again, can't go into just tremendous detail in a podcast, but happy to follow up with you if you want to reach out and show some of these models to you. Um, so interest is, is very, very powerful. And the way that the two-dimensional model works is, based on their level of interest, they are either have a low level of interest or a medium level of interest or a high level of interest. So I want you to picture, as you're listening to this podcast, a nine-box grid. And along the bottom row, in the very left corner, is low, and then medium, and then high, and that is the level of engagement. On the y-axis is the explicit criteria, and they either have a very high level of fit in the upper left box, or a medium level of fit, or a low level of fit, which would be the low left box. So as you can imagine, someone who has a low level of engagement and a low level of fit in that lower left box they're going to score very low, and their lead rating in that box, I want you to picture in E, a letter E, because they have a very low um, rating. Up in the top right corner, that's where the interest score, uh, both behavior and fit, is very high, and picture in that box the letter A. So you have the full range from A, B, C, D, E, and in that nine box, you work with sales and marketing to determine what is an A and what is a B, C, D, or E. And that's how a two-dimensional scoring system is laid out. If this is difficult to visualize, there's two things you can do. One is you can go to demandgen.com and go into our resources area and download our lead scoring ebook, which demystifies um, everything that I'm sharing with you even greater. Uh, or you can download a copy of my book, and I know I mention that on every episode, but Chapter 5 is all about lead scoring, and I've got a great set of visuals in that to complement what I'm sharing with you today. 
All right, so that is the nine box grid, and that's where you come up with your rating. I mentioned earlier about predictive, and if you have a predictive system, we would certainly want to incorporate the predictive score. Uh, typically, there's an account predictive score and a person predictive score, and incorporate those predictions into the model. A little difficult to explain in a podcast, so I'll leave that uh, for uh, another way to get you that information. But um, in a two-dimensional model, that's where you'd incorporate your predictive as well. All right, so that is the lead rating system, a multi-dimensional lead rating system. Now, what's the difference between an inquiry and an MQL? Remember those nine boxes that I just described to you? Well, what you would do is determine with sales what is considered a marketing qualified lead. And in almost all cases that I've ever seen, any box that is an A, a B, or a C, if the lead score equals A, B, or C, then the lead status would get changed from inquiry to marketing qualified lead. It's that easy. Now, it's that easy logically. Obviously, it takes a lot more work to implement this in your marketing automation and CRM system. But that's the concept, that an A, B, or C rated lead is a marketing qualified lead. And an E or D stays as an inquiry. All right? So you get that idea. Some companies um, have a higher standard and that they use only A or B as MQLs. And the answer of whether you should use A, B or A, B, and C really depends on lead volume and just how accurate and, and precise your lead scoring model is. I would recommend if you're starting out to go with A, B, and C equaling an MQL. All right, so now you've got your lead scoring model. You've gotten a taxonomy associated with the different ratings. Now you can start to understand how you could say if lead status equals inquiry, put them into this nurture. And if they equal MQL, put them into that nurture because they're at different stages of the buying process. Uh, and that's how nurturing ties in. Topic for another time, but I uh, wanted to give you a little teaser. All right, let's talk about SLAs, service level agreements, before we wrap up. Service level agreements is an understanding, an agreement between sales and marketing that says, hey, sales, if we produce an MQL, if we produce an A, B, or C rated lead, we're asking you to do the following. And if we produce an inquiry, we're asking you or not asking you to do the following. And that's what an SLA is. And a great example, I'll just throw this out there, is what's called like a 21 and done SLA. A 21 and done SLA says, hey, sales, when you get an MQL, in the next 21 days, you're going to attempt the following calls and email and reach out communication. LinkedIn can sometimes be included in that. And if after 21 days, you've not received any follow-up engagement from that MQL, then set the status to recycle. And that gives you an understanding where sales is saying, yep, I'm going to agree. And uh, if we can't get engagement with our reaching out, then we're going to recycle it back. That's an example of an SLA. Now, who should establish those SLAs? It's got to be your head of sales. And your your uh, demand generation lead or your marketing operations lead can work with the head of sales to develop those SLAs, but have the sales manager present those agreements to sales because it's very difficult, in my experience, for marketing to dictate to sales what those SLAs should be. It's better coming from sales leadership. All right, and then it comes down to maintaining your lead scoring system. Let's say you've done your workshop, you've aligned, you have your SLAs, you developed a system that you piloted. Remember I said it's not perfect. 
So go back every quarter and audit your lead scoring system. Take a look and create a bell curve of how many A, B, C's, and D's and E's you have. Take a look at whether sales is following up. Uh, See if you're getting a lot of false positives or false negatives, but do not set and forget your lead scoring system. Absolutely critical that you keep going back and maintain this system, and that really should be the responsibility of your marketing operations head to create the cadence of coming back and revisiting the scoring system. All right, well, I hope that was a helpful episode for you as we took a big deep dive into lead scoring. I pointed you to some other content that you can get online at demandgen.com, and you can always reach out to me on LinkedIn or um, through email and see if you want to have any more in-depth conversations with you or your organization. Hope that was helpful. Don't forget to keep tuning in and spread the word about DemandGen Radio, and that will conclude this episode. Have a great day. You've been listening to Demand Gen Radio, bringing you the top industry experts, thought leaders, authors, marketing technology firms, and senior marketing leaders from around the world to teach you the methods and technologies for high-performance marketing. 